0: Thanks for listening to the Pro Video Podcast, weekly insights into everything video, proudly presented by worldpodcast.com. Here's the host, Blair Walker. Hi everybody and welcome to the Pro Video Podcast. Every week we bring you insights into different areas of film, television, online and so much more. This week we're going to be talking about filming, videography, editing, directing, drones, producing, in-house, corporate, all these things and more with Brian Mulligan. Thank you so much for being on the show, Brian. Thank you, Blair. It's
1: uh, it's great to be here.
0: Do you mind, mate, just taking a couple of minutes and uh, explaining to everybody what you're doing at the moment?
1: Uh, at the moment, I am working uh, in-house corporate video. Um, I, I I know a lot of people and people I follow online and stuff, and, and they, they do corporate video, but they, they kind of do it, I guess, maybe... As from maybe like an agency side or just a freelance side, they don't work, you know, actually inside the company, um, which I think is kind of unique. Uh, I don't know how many companies, you know, do their own in-house uh, video production and, and setup. up. Um, I'm kind of, you know, thankful that this company does. And uh, I find it I find it a, a, an interesting challenge. I, I find it great that you can be, um, you, you know, I guess embedded in the, in the culture of the company and kind of know all the ins and outs, and especially a company that I'm working for now that does a lot of variety of things, um, a lot of variety of products that they make, uh, and then they have a lot of uh, global locations that they, that they manufacture from. So basically, uh, I work for a manufacturing company.
0: What is that manufacturing company's name?
1: Uh, the manufacturing company's name, um, so who I work for is uh, Emmy. Um, basically they are a safety company. They do, um, safety restraints for basically everything but automotive. So heavy truck semis that are down the road, we do belts and buckles and airbags for, um, we do, uh, UTV belts and restraints. We do some military stuff. Um, we also do, uh, every, like I would say 90% of every child car seat in the world has our, uh, harness restraints in them so basically and we also do um seats for school buses in the states um and seat belts on those school buses as well
0: being in-house it's it makes me think of when you're dealing with going direct to client there is no more direct when you belong in the client's company so (laughs) having that connection to uh the products that you're making and such important products too you know saving lives these these are really important to um have how is it different do you feel being on the inside of the company delivering to the business directly versus um, supplying as an external provider
1: yeah uh i think you get to know you get to know all the the details and the the ins and outs um I, I think a lot of things in, in corporate video, you know, if, if someone if, if a corporate, you know, a corporate video goes into to a freelance person and they say, you know, hey, we want a video on this product. We want a product video. And that person, you know, does that. And, and that's how that works. Um, I've done some product videos as well. Um, but I think a lot of what I do is both um, internal marketing uh, for our own employees, as well as, uh, you know, some external marketing um, to get the word out, but it's a lot of, um, I wouldn't say necessarily product marketing that I do, but it's more of just almost image marketing for the company and just sharing our stories. Um, and sometimes those stories can be about the company and about the business and the products that we make. And then sometimes, um, which I think is great. They're about the culture of the company and the things the extracurricular things that they do Um, we we have a large you know service project type of thing where we can do you know warm fuzzy stories about uh, the good things that the company's doing and the people in it who are doing it Um, and then there's and then there's also like i said that's sort of the external stuff but then there's the internal side of it as well to uh, to share those same company stories with our own internal people um, I'm actually responsible for creating a three to five minute newscast I'll call it um, sort of information cast uh, every day or at least Monday through Thursday. and it is seen you know through our internal uh, internet um, and, and the, the through on the manufacturing floor. In the mornings, this is the first thing that they watch, and it is the information that they might need to know. It could be anything from, you know, HR-related stuff, or it could be, you know, telling them about uh, an event that we just did uh, in another part of the country, um, and it's that type of thing. So it's it's a good variety of stuff.
0: That sounds like such a way more engaging way of getting information about the business that you work for. We have so many different emails coming from um, global as well as um, the internal, and there's usually little videos here and there, but to have a daily video, basically a vlog for the company, it's the first I've heard of that, and I think it's a genius idea because it makes it so much more engaging to get that information across to the whole team across all the different areas of the business.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's really, it is, it's, at the moment, it's very challenging. Uh, we're kind of, you know, it, it's obviously our headquarters are in Indiana, Westfield, Indiana. Um, but we have locations in, uh, Saltillo, Mexico, um, in, uh, Zelina, Slovakia, in, uh, Italy, and, uh, in, uh, Wuxi, China. Uh, and then there's one in, uh, there's a manufacturing facility in the UK as well. Um, so we have a lot of different places. And not all of them speak English as, yeah. a, as their major language, uh, especially a lot of the, the workforce uh, in the plant. Um, but I still think they get a lot out of it. Yeah. Um, and I think they, they, a lot of stuff will get translated on the, uh, locally at the, at the facilities, uh, depending on what it is. But uh, So it does, the message does get out, which is nice.
0: This year, I've seen a massive explosion of transcribing and just wondering if uh those solutions you've been looking at for the automated transcription into some of these other languages i know that um it's it's it english is easily done <laughs> and uh, you've got quite a quite a variety with um china and the other countries that you're based out of but do you think that automated transcription is going to get there in the future where it could just be a click and play kind of um, feature
1: yeah, I would. I I don't know a lot about that. I haven't looked into a lot of the transcription services like that or, or systems, but uh, it would be great. Um, I mean, I even you know just even having you know actual local people kind of translate even from English to Spanish, which is not you know, it, it's still very difficult. And and Spanish is in an edit is more words yeah. than English. The, yeah. the language itself is longer, so it's much. Uh, it's much harder to, you have to go, it's almost you have to go in and refine the edits. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and to make them longer sometimes. So
0: I definitely know what you're saying. Uh, we had a case study that we were putting together and we were working with our Mexico office. And it was um, a really amazing um, app that had been developed for basically encouraging children to read. But we, the case study was filmed in Spanish from Mexico. And we were editing it in New Zealand in our Auckland office, and um, it was who who knows spanish and it 's like some new Spanish from south uh, but there's different you know different regions speak differently, sure. so that was where I actually um, used frame iO and sent the footage to the Mexico office through frame i o where they could basically type out the different bits but also give us a little bit of commentary on um, this take isn 't quite as good as the first one. And so then we'd basically piece together our edit based on it and then send it back. And and it was amazingly, it worked quite well. But I do feel like um, the AI that's coming out with Watson and then um, Adobe have Sensei and then there's other companies like SpeedScriber with their automated transcription services. It feels like, and Google, of course, <laughs> being, mm. being a big hitter in this area, I I really do wonder if we're going to get to that point in the near future that not only is transcription really rock solid at 99.9%, but also transcribing into different languages. Really, it seems almost like science fiction that we could have almost real-time understanding what someone's saying.
1: (laughs) We have universal translators. Wouldn't that be great? It'd be Be very Star Trek.
0: (laughs) Sweet. Well, um, working internally and... Uh, making corporate videos corporate i feel has just been an explosion of the quality and the amount of work that's being produced there's just so much information that's been put into internal and corporate videos and the level and the quality of the shooting the editing the directing you know it is literally what we were seeing in post not that long ago being brought in-house so I've I've watched some of your work and the amount of cameras that were being used and the places the cameras were and the, the amount of content that you're pulling together. I'm thinking specifically of the remote control semi track um, right. crash, right? And that was that was pretty epic. When I was thinking about a small internal team producing this content on their own, do you mind sort of explaining to the audience what that particular project was? Because it was it was really engaging to watch.
1: Sure. Um, this was a project that was uh, done in tandem with our uh, Emi's crash test facility that we actually have on site. Uh, it's just in another building on the campus, um, and it is called Cape, the Center for uh, Advanced. Um, <laughs> sorry, their their name escaped me. Um, the Center for Advanced Product Evaluation, Cape, um, and they we we sort of worked with them to basically remote control a semi-truck, a full tractor-trailer, 18-wheeler, to roll over. And the purpose of that was to demonstrate um, a a real-world situation where uh, our side airbags would deploy. Uh, In the States, it is not a regulation um, that semi-trucks have any type of airbags. They have seat belts, but they do not have airbags. um, Which, when you think of all the trucks going down the road, the fact that, you know, cars have airbags and side airbags and they're loaded with airbags, but a semi truck, not one. It's not required. Um, so that's we have a product that you can uh, uh, when the truck is built, can be purchased and placed in the truck. And it will basically design to save the driver in the event of a rollover. So we needed to roll over a truck and deploy this airbag in a real world situation. We've got uh, a facility at Cape that does a a system, you know, a fake sort of cab and it's on a machine and it side rolls over and it's a big machine that does that, but it wasn't real. And we wanted to show it in real, uh, in a real world situation. Um, So we uh, went up north a little bit, found a big empty air force uh, or air field basically um, that was used during World War II and had since been shut down. And it was a big concrete area that we could, you know, remote control and drive this truck. So our CAPE engineers developed uh the internal workings to um remote control and drive this you know real large tractor trailer and rig it with cameras inside uh they were using phantom cameras to to do some high-speed recordings about thousand frames per second uh, for to see the airbags deploy and then i was sort of set up to tell this story Um, We also had, uh, on the day of the crash, we had ABC News come out, uh, Good Good Morning America came out, and uh, they were uh, doing a story based on what we were doing, um, which was kind of nice because uh, I basically provided them with a lot of their footage. Um, I ended up setting up like over 20 cameras um, from anywhere from GoPros to uh, a couple of GH4s at the time. Um, and, uh, a bunch of like little Sony handy cams, you know, whatever we kind of had, I threw every camera I had at this. Uh, we had two drones, we had two phantom, uh, pro threes in the air. Um, I was flying one of them and I had, uh, one of my interns, uh, who was a high school school, who was a high school student, uh, running the other one. And, uh, he did a great job. So he was, uh, uh, one of the people I also teach and mentor, uh, throughout the year. And, uh, we, told the story. We told the story. Um, It's a little documentary. Um, I think the whole video is like, you know, eight or nine minutes long. And it goes from the beginning of the process to how they built it and what they needed to do to testing it out to going on there the day of to then showing the crash and explaining, you know, to everyone how the roll, uh, how the airbag deploys, uh, how roll tech works. So uh, it was quite a feat. And with an event like that, you have one chance to get it right. And in a crash test like that, you, you know, there's only one chance and everything worked out great. So I'm trying to set up pos- camera positions and trying to guess basically where this semi truck, when it flips over, where it's going to end up in position. And uh, all the cameras worked out great. We kind of did some math and had the engineers involved and kind of estimated, you know, speed and distance and, and friction and all that good stuff. And it was perfect. Uh, it all it came out great.
0: Yeah, it, the when I watched the video, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. I was just thinking to myself, there's there must be such a mixture here because it feels like a documentary. Um, the, but so there's a bit of what might be just following the um, story as it goes through a little bit documentary capturing what's happening, but the, just the amount of planning as well about what needed to happen um, throughout the whole process of this project. And then seeing the simulation of the truck and seeing um, what the goal was with it. And then basically just wondering how on shoot day does it roll out for you where you need to capture what the team are doing but you're also needing to get the drones in the position, get all the cameras set. It just feels like there must have been so much happening on that shoot day.
1: Um, Yeah, I mean largely I, I did most of that myself. Um, I had one other, um, young shooter who was sort of getting some, some of the corporate, I guess, uh, guest stuff and some of the, uh, the speeches that were going on that I ended up not using because they weren't, they didn't help tell the documentary story. They didn't help, you know, get you for the average viewer. It was less, less about being corporate and more about just sort of telling this good story. Yeah. Um, which helps, I think, you know, softly sell the product as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, It was just, it was a long day. Uh, I think I got out there at like four in the morning because I needed to get the sunrise and I wanted to get the sun coming up since it was a wide open area. So I needed that shot and get a nice time-lapse of a sunrise to help establish something. I'd already been out there, you know, a couple of days, three, three or four days prior when they were testing to get some of them practicing and getting them, you know, setting things up and setting up antennas and and the whole um, system because they had set up, basically their own little internal wifi network in this area with these large antennas. And that is how they were talking to the remote controls on the truck. Um, so as they were testing that, I was just sort of documenting that and kind of getting a whole feel for the whole thing. And on shoot day, you just, I'm just following it around, um, who's doing what and what, you know, what's happening. And, and eventually there is a scheduled time. It's like, okay, it's one o'clock. We're going to roll this truck and they get in position and then I have to get, you know, me in position, I had to get the drone up in the air and just kind of wait. And then there was a, there was a slight delay. There was a delay of about 20 minutes, um, which about happened. So we had some GoPros that, uh, timed out. It was probably about, I don't know, it was probably about 80 or 90 degrees that day. And, uh, in the heat and, and in those cases, sometimes uh, the GoPros just fail, especially when they're running at 4k. Uh, and so a couple of good angles I lost. Um, but we still had enough cameras uh, as backups to uh, to have them run and and look good and give us enough uh, to tell the story.
0: i just in awe of the small teams and even the one-man bands that are just doing everything because there's so much to think about. Um, lighting cameras, the technical aspects of just getting good footage, but also good audio. Um, the projects that fail in my mind are the ones that have really bad audio and i thought the audio that you're capturing was really good and it's a really hard part of the job to nail that
1: um well good thanks um i mean surprisingly it's really just uh like a shotgun mic um it was actually the panasonic shotgun mic for on the gh4 uh i've since got a gh5 with a rode mic um and and those those work really well and you know i'm shooting with a on the Panasonic GH4, it's a 12 to 35, which is a 24 to 70 then. So uh, I'm still fairly close to everybody and, and they're used to me now. And that's one of the other nice things, I guess, about being an in-house corporate is that these people see me all the time and I'm always running around with the camera and they get used to it after a while. And they kind of have learned to uh, understand what I do um, and, and now. And they, they're they comfortable with it. They, they know that uh, it's my job to make everybody look good. Yeah. Um, and, and so they don't have to be as self-conscious as they would if they were you know, a hired team and strangers they've never met and suddenly they're pointing a bunch of cameras and mics in their face. Um, these are people I talk to you know, on a regular basis and see every day. And um, it, that rapport really helps uh, on an in-house level to, to get everybody comfortable.
0: Yeah, I hadn't thought of it in that way, but it completely makes sense that um, as an outsider going into a situation, we don't have that relationship. Um, It can take a bit of time just to get the talent comfortable in front of the camera and relax and just be themselves. But um, you made me think of... I was always the uncle that had a camera in his hand at all the parties. So all the kids and the nieces and nephews are just like, they sort of forget you're there with the camera because that's just uh-huh. you doing your thing. <laughs> and it, yep. it made me feel the same um, listening to you sort of um, talk about that. But I think education, you know, when we're on the inside of these companies, being able to sort of educate about the process, because sometimes I think, Um, There are challenges and difficulties that are hard to explain when you're external. But when you're internal, you can sort of lower the curtains a bit. You don't have to hide as much. You can be really honest about the process. So I think that that education is really important for everybody, really.
1: Yeah. um, I've only been there since late 2014, so it hasn't been that long. Um, And this is the first, you know, i this position, I guess, was created. And, and so this didn't really exist before. Um, so it's taken a little bit of time. And but there are a lot of people who, you know, understand and really appreciate the the power of video yeah. and telling stories within the company. And, you know, a lot of it is HR related. And a lot of it is the nice stories that we can tell to help, you know, morale and and help people and understand and as well as, you know, getting people to understand our products out, outside the company. But uh, it's it's not always. It it, it has its good and bad times, I guess. Because as as comfortable as you are, then a lot of people will just come down like in one moment and say, "Hey, I got to say, can we go shoot this? Or we're we're testing this thing. Can we go shoot this? Or uh, I need video of of something over here? Or can you tell? You know, we're doing this event or something's happening. Can you shoot that?" And it's not as easy as just picking up a camera and going to shoot you there is some planning and there's some there's some you know it's like what is the story and and what am i trying to say here what is your message and who are you talking to whether it's internal or external it's like who are you talking to what is the what is the message um so just trying to to get that all together and and it's it's helping them understand how to tell stories as well um but since you're right there they can come down to you all the time, and uh, and just kind of see you and say, "Hey, can we get you know this, or or, or you know, or, or we're doing this charity drive for something? Can uh, can we tell this story? Can we promote this?" And and you know, since I do have this three to five minute newscast every day, uh, it 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 is something that that you know we can at least, at least at least do a talking head, a couple of sound bites, and some b-roll real quick of something.
0: Nice. Yeah, defining the boundaries and the processes and the structure of being internal, um, I remember when I first started at the agency. It took a few years to find um, how we are available, but that there was that structure so that we weren't dropping the ball and missing opportunities, and and yeah, it takes a wee while to figure that out, and yeah, so I definitely resonate with, with you there, so um yeah. I wanted to sort of talk about your your career coming to this point because you have had um, 21 years in broadcast before, oh, before I, this. I, I, yeah, I had more than that, but that, that was just at one station. At one station. So <laughs> yeah. do, do you mind sort of giving a bit of an overhead of um, your career path and then we might drill into some of these areas? Sure.
1: Uh, let's go all the way back to um, – 1991, I graduated college. Uh, graduated college and uh, was at that time, sort of uh, the year before, sort of working part time at a TV station, local TV station, a CBS affiliate in Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, worked as a operational engineer there. Um, so I learned uh, videotape. I was running videotape. We were running three-quarter inch tapes for the local news in the morning, and that was kind of my my gig as I. Go there at like four in the morning and help set up and run tapes for the local news uh, in the morning, which ended like at six or six thirty, seven o'clock, and I'd work till eight, and then I'd go to class. Um, so then after I graduated, uh, they hired me on full time. So now I was low man on the totem pole. Uh, it was a union shop, but it was great. It was like I have a job in television. This is this is what I wanted. It's what I've always wanted, um, and. I learned everything I possibly could. I was young still, so I was only like, you know, 21, 22 and I learned everything. I learned videotape, I learned satellites, I learned uh technical director. I learned audio and this was all running live for live live events, uh news programs mainly. Uh but you know, it was recording shows, recording Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy and Oprah and and playing those back later on, running master control, running commercials. Um you know i i had like executives all behind me when i was really young and just like 22 or whatever in the 90s when uh, the world series was going on and it happened to be on cbs and cincinnati was in the world series so it was like big money for the station it was like every commercial was was you know tens of thousands of dollars and you know when it came up for that break i just have like five suits behind me waiting for me to push the button which once again this was all prior to digital files and automation so it was a lot of manual stuff and you were swapping out tapes and it was it was chaos, but it was fun. Uh, so I learned everything I could and uh, eventually wanted to get out of just being a button pusher, even though that's that's kind of a, a harsh term even for that. But I wanted to get out of uh, just being an operator and get into creative and producing. I kind of you know grew up in the 80s, grew up with the birth of MTV, liked the short form, wanted to do commercials and promos and show opens and that kind of stuff um it be creative and uh i kind of dabbled a little bit they had a, an ampex ace 25 um little uh edit suite with some 1-inch decks um that would uh would run it and they had that little bit of an editing so i kind of picked up uh the early stages of that and did some work for some directors there uh and tried to get hired on in the promotions department there. Uh, the guy there did not hire me, um, mainly because I was young and knew everything and had an attitude. Um, so he did not want to deal with that, even though he liked working with me because I always got stuff done. Um, so he did not hire me, but he met a guy at a conference and uh, in a broadcasting conference and he was looking for somebody and he goes, Hey, do you know anybody? He goes, yeah, I've got this guy. So he eventually called me. I moved uh, just up the road in the Midwest, basically, from Ohio to Indiana, to Indianapolis, Indiana, and started my uh, career in promotions uh, at the NBC affiliate in Indianapolis. Um, so I learned how to, I was hired on to be a writer, shooter, producer, editor, and I was not only there to write and shoot and produce and edit my own stuff, but also to shoot and help edit for the other two producers who were there, um, because my editing style that I had done and being able to maximize the gear, um, which once again was, uh, beta tapes, you know, three beta tapes and a CMX style, uh, editor. Um, so it was all linear, and a little Grass Valley 110 switcher, 100 switcher. Uh, so it was all very, you know, crude, but I made it, made the most of it. Um, and so I became a promotions photographer, and a shooter, and editor, and did that for about two years. And then the station switched, and they wanted to specialize. Uh, new management came in, a new general manager, and they wanted to specialize. So they wanted full-time writers, full-time producers, full-time editors, and they were going to spend some money. So they built an edit suite. And they built uh, basically a million-dollar edit suite at the time—a linear edit suite. It had a big, you know, video production switcher in it. It had, um, you know, tape machines. It had uh, digital effects. It was all Grass Valley, so I think it was like the Grass Valley Crystal, I think, with a K at the time. I um, um, remember the Grass. It,
0: Grass yeah. Valley is quite clearly, yep.
1: Yep, and a 2200 switcher, and uh, it had a couple of different uh, editing controllers for that that didn't last very long. One was called Saber, and I think it lasted to like version 1.2 beta, B for in beta, and then it died. So uh, they had to switch to something else, and in the mid-90s-ish, uh, I went to Lightworks uh, when Lightworks was a thing. And yeah. uh, it was, and it's still kind of a thing now. It's coming back. The,
0: yeah, EditShare um, brought it back to life. Yep. yep.
1: So, uh, and it looks uh, it's it's very nostalgic for me. Um, <laughs> but uh, I it, the so I learned Lightworks for a while and did uh, you know that was my 1st nonlinear editor, basically um, yeah. learning that. And it was even then it was sort of a linear nonlinear editor because we had a version of it that would run on uh, digital digital disk drives basically video streaming drives uh, gra- uh, tectronics profile video servers basically and you could play out three streams into the switcher and then record on the fourth so you would set up your clips on the non on the timeline and then you could go out and GPI trigger stuff to the switcher and add fonts and a Chiron and the whole deal oh the Chiron uh, I remember that too oh yeah it was <laughs> a its, it's, it's crazy <laughs> oh yes it's crazy but you know we made it we, we, we used we maximized everything So uh, mid, late 90s, early 2000s, um, we saw that the looks and broadcasts were changing. You know, you started to seeing more After Effects type type of stuff. You started seeing that type of look. Um, So we, you know, dove into that and kind of got another little computer set up and started learning uh, Premiere and After Effects and uh, some of the Adobe products and a little 3D Studio Max, um, which then switched over to Cinema 4D. Yeah, and I and I dabbled a little bit of that to know that it was uh, something you had to devote a lot of time to. Um, mm-hmm. You know, 3D is something that you you just can't stick your toe in the water. You have to like devote a lot of a lot of yourself to it. And uh, the other editor I worked with at the time there did that, and he eventually moved over into the art department and became sort of a full-time 3D animator with Cinema 4D and did doing broadcast graphics, which was awesome. Uh, so then uh, we developed some of that in the After Effects. But at that time, the computer was running, it was like a 1 gigahertz Pentium. Yeah. Or actually, no, it was a 1 gigahertz Xenon processor. And it was great, but in a broadcast timeline where mm-hmm. you have to get a 30-second spot out in an hour, you can set up the greatest After Effects look and, you know, blurs and, and, and shine and all that tra- all the trap code stuff. But when you hit render and it says, oh, three hours or more, that doesn't help you in a broadcast environment so we kind of had to you know lessen a little bit of that and still to go back to some real-time um effects uh with the hardware that we had and then eventually in like 2006 uh hd was becoming a thing for broadcast so um, as we were switching over the money came in to upgrade gear because everything had to go hd and in that case we so did the edit suite so the edit suite had to go to hd and and at that point we looked at a couple of things we looked at avid ds we looked at uh sony expri i think was a brief thing i'm not sure how much of it made it too far uh and then we also looked at autodesk smoke on uh or actually at that point discrete smoke um but uh, we looked at that on SGI platforms. And that is what we settled with. And it was crazy because we had, you know, smoke in a broadcast facility yeah. on SGI computers, but you know, the company trusted me and my decisions and, you know, like the work that I had done thus far. So they, they it was a it was not a corporate-run broadcast station. It was still very family-owned, so um, they trusted me, and, and we had it. And I learned Smoke, and Smoke was great, and Smoke uh, is great, and I love it. It was red-hot
0: at that time too. It really—it yeah. Yeah, was hard to compete with um, Smoke and then Flame for the speed that it was giving. And um, so, really, it was rendering what rendering out real-time to DPX sequences that are stored versus like the rendering process at the end of a
1: project like after effects would apply right yeah so, it was uh, you could work on it you know in a sort of you know clip by clip or segment by segment on the timeline yeah. uh, or render things out in the various modules and but it was yeah it was all just running into its own high speed disk uh, system the the, the 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 discrete stone Uh, arrays. And uh, it was great. And I love smoke. And we uh, had one smoke. And then later on, things got busier. We hired another full time editor for the daytime, and we ended up getting another smoke. So then we had two smokes. And that was bananas for uh, the 25th largest market in the country, you know, for doing broadcast TV. I mean, that that was just unheard of. But we were a very unique company at the time. And, uh, and we did things differently.
0: And a wise choice for that time to get the um, the type of work that you're doing and the speed it was needed, that's that really um, looking back at that era was such a wise choice because yeah. it was so rock solid. It just performed yeah. like a beast and just oh yeah. yeah. And then, I, because I did eval- I worked at a post facility and we had smokes and flames. And then when I went into our own setup, um, over the over the years I'd look at the cost effectiveness, but we had more time. So time wasn't that thing that was always hanging over our head. You know, there's always time pressure. But um, so in the sort of early 2012 time area, I was sort of looking at the smoke and the valuation and the, and the um, computing power and the moving of the GPU processing coming up, it felt yeah. like the PCs and the Macs were still adequate without investing in smoke. The thing that made smoke so... Um, yeah why I really evaluate it so strongly is the price decrease at that time. There was a huge yeah. amount of price um, reduction over a five year period from what was like a million dollar box yeah. to uh, at the end when I was evaluating it, I think it was less than ten grand or around ten grand or something
1: yeah when it when it went to mac uh, like in like two thousand and ten two thousand and eleven when it, when the first version of that hit mac um, it was it was like yeah, it dropped to like ten grand, yeah. and then shortly thereafter it dropped in two thousand and thirteen, then it dropped to like four grand it was like thirty nine ninety five and now it 's even less uh, with a subscription um, and it's it 's just too bad that it hasn 't branched out as much as I think it it should have, yeah. especially when when the final cut you know uh, and final cut ten came out and and that whole switch, and people were in chaos, and what were they going to do? Um, the pricing of Premiere and the quality of Premiere, um, you know, kept kept people at that stage, and, and they didn't feel the need to to branch out. And, and this, the way Smoke kind of thought was a little different, and they, they tried mm-hmm. to you know configure it and make it more traditional. Um, even and but now I'm on Adobe, uh, working at the, at Emmy, and which is great. I you know, I love Adobe. Um, I love Premiere because I can throw all these files at it, and it's great, and After Effects is is a very powerful tool, Um, and I'm only probably using, you know, 5% of it at times. Uh, But, and especially now that I'm not doing as much graphic work, uh, as broadcast chronographics works, graphic work, um, I'm doing more storytelling, more documentary style, so I don't need to worry about it as much. But anytime I do need to do some effects, if we ever do a chroma key and do that kind of setup, it's just... Compared to running on Smoke, even on a Mac, it's it's so painful. Dynamic <laughs> link is just painful and, and horrendous as a as a yeah. workflow. Yeah. Compared to Smoke, where it's all in a timeline and you just sort of jump into modules. It's similar to dynamic linking, but it's all still very internal. and It's just much more fluid. And node-based compositing is yeah. always – I'm a big fan of that. No, I,
0: I I really understand where you're coming from because I've used a lot of different tools from um, Smoke to Flame but also Shake and Nuke and After Effects and Pr- Premiere more recently or After Effects I've always used and, and they have their strengths and they have um, their, their little nuances of how they approach and uh, the different paradigms and Final Cut Pro X is a perfect example of trying to shift that paradigm in a big way But you're really right about having it all in one box that works well together and you're not swapping between programs. And I I agree with you. Dynamic link has never been something that I've implemented into our workflow because if it's simple stuff, yes, sweet as. But then as soon as it starts building in complexity, it always seems to break for whatever reason. And we end up rendering out movies anyway and just replacing. Uh -uh. So yeah, I I don't think... um, I really enjoy the Adobe suite, um, but... I think there's always work that can be done to make it more stable and feel like you are in one package that that Autodesk and um, Discrete used to have so well.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I I think... Cleaning up audio in Premiere is great because, you know, bounce things to audition and, and the noise reduction, noise cleanup that I can do, um, that works great because it, it, I guess it's much simpler because you're not dealing with so much video and, and multiple files at times. Um, but that's pretty, pretty quick and easy. Um, but going to After Effects and, you know, then bringing in more files and, and you know, creating a composition of any type of complexity is just uh, and then rendering it just feels much slower and it's just uh, it is very painful. Um, just compared to what I'm used to, uh, in 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 a all-in-one box and in, in smoke and flame kind of kind of workflow, but uh, yeah, yeah, it is what it is, and, <laughs> and, and, and you, you kind of just kind of go with it. Um, I I kind of wanted to sort
0: of loop back into the filming, producing, directing side of the role. Sure. Like um, there's a lot of those shots that I could see some really nice movement in. I'm thinking um, using sliders and dollies of some sort.
1: Uh, I have a I have a little four foot doozy slider um, that just on my tripod, and then a, a lot of every everything else. Most of I'm going to say most of everything you saw in that one video, and, and largely a lot of things we shoot. is very run and gun, so it's yep. very hand. It's all handheld, and I don't have a gimbal. Uh, although I'd love to get one, um, but I've gotten to a point where I'm so comfortable running handheld and and being we, now that the GH5 has internal stabilization as well as lens stabilization, you kind of get a bonus there um premiere has some obviously great uh stabilization post features um i'm shooting in 4k and editing in 1080 so i've got a little bit of room to repo and i love having that type of uh workflow because you know i can shoot an interview you know a chest up interview in 4k and then cut to a tight shot and having you know basically two cameras in one which is just great at this level yeah um and not being able to set up you know having needing to have two cameras just shooting 1080 so i love shooting in 4k um in and then you know cutting everything down into 1080 gives me so much editorial fun um because i can repo and i can change stuff and 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 just reframe and and kind of do some stuff uh that i you know you couldn't do before you yeah. know just shooting one shooting one resolution and broadcasting for so long uh that's all you had so uh, I love shooting in 4K, and uh, um, the other stuff is yeah, handheld. So I, I, I think I try to teach my students and other people um, that that are that I'm working with when they shoot handheld, and it's 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 a, it's difficult for them. And I guess you just have to get used to it and you just have to know how to hold your body and, and work. And it's probably not, you know, and that's the greatest way. I mean, if I were, you know, I'm going to say if I were a real pro, I'd have a slider and I'd have a gimbal and I'd have a, a Ronin and all that good stuff. But um and eventually, I think we'll get to that because, you know, yeah. like we, bu- we bought a drone. We bought the Phantom Pro 3 a couple of years ago. And, you know, that is given that always gives so much uh, production value. Um, you know, the sliders give simple production value at a very low cost. Um, so I'm still working kind of in a corporate mentality and a corporate, you know, budget. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I have enough toys. I've uh, got some I can uh, LED lights uh, set up that are now portable because okay. I also have to think about I have to carry all of this stuff and I have to travel with all of this stuff. And even if it's just within the building, the building is, is big. And then there's even multiple buildings on the campus. And then sometimes I have to fly uh, to the other locations. And so now I have to haul all my own gear. So when you have to haul lights and a camera and a tripod and a slot, you, you have to, you have to go with the, go with what you have and uh, kind of minimize uh, some of that hardware. Yeah. You're
0: going to get very particular about the essentials and not, uh, bringing everything including the kitchen sink when you're having to carry it all yourself yeah yeah um it's i really love seeing people who are building out a facility and what you're doing is you're building out your own internal facility and that Mm -hmm. it takes time and it takes um that new that mutual respect between the company and understanding and appreciating what you do but also um the benefits of getting this new gear in, and it's, and it is a little bit of, uh, just picking your right moments and, uh, yeah, yeah. waiting for that CapEx to come through.
1: And, yeah. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. And, you know, as it goes. And so I, I think my next thing I, I will get is, is, uh, some sort of, uh, gimbal for the um for the gh5s um Sweet. even though they're they're all even though they're really good and and you can do some nice stuff especially if you're cheating it with a uh, variable frame rate yep. and shooting in like 60 or, or 90 frame uh per second and then uh kind of cheating some slow-mo stuff with that um and and getting softer moves uh you know as you're as you're walking basically or as you're moving then that, that helps but uh i've, I've done some interesting you know crane moves i guess just by like you know squatting and then kind of lifting up and kind of going up over you know boxes or or something to reveal get a a reveal shot and then stabilizing that in premiere and it's amazing sometimes um i find it you know a lot of times it either works or it doesn't um but more often than not i can i can create a really nice you know crane shot almost um just out of being handheld and a little stabilization so
0: that's nice it made me remember i i built up our f- filming department internally as well and um originally it was me until i could convince them that there was just we needed to step it up and get some content directors in but i still remember i really enjoyed having the monopod because it allowed me that mm-hmm. flexibility of just moving really quickly around but also yeah figuring out a few little tricky moves just having that stabilization of the monopod but stretching it out and getting some unique angles and yeah it's been a while since i've filmed anything properly but <laughs> yeah. it's uh, fun fun stuff to do
1: Oh, yeah, it's fun. I mean, and like I said, a lot of stuff I'm shooting is run and gun because it's like I'm at an event or I'm at a thing, you know, where it's happening and I just need to capture everything in the moment. It's very documentary style um, in the, the yeah. type of stories that we tell. And you can see those on our uh, Emmy YouTube page um, and check out some of the, the stories and, and other content that we do.
0: Awesome. Awesome.
1: And now it's time for the Pro Video
0: Packs. We're going to jump into the pro video picks. So this is a section where we like to highlight to the audience and listeners and the things that we've found interesting and inspiring. So Brian, what would be your pro video pick for this week? Uh,
1: Well, we've kind of talked to about it already. Um, I'm still going to go with my pro video pick as being um, Autodesk Smoke and Flame, uh, especially on the Mac. Um, It's just a beautiful piece of software, and I know you can download demos of it and training versions of it, and there's a lot of documentation on YouTube now. They're, they're, they've really stepped up their game as far as getting uh, a community built um, out more out in the public, whereas Flame and Smoke was a very closed community for quite a long time. Now, as they branch out and try and get it out there more, um, you can actually check it out more. And, and I I encourage everybody to at least Uh, if you've got a Mac to at least try it and download it and kind of look into it and look at some of the tutorials and some of the training materials because the workflow is just beautiful. And and the quality and the effects and all the internal stuff that's built into it where you don't really need any plugins, um, it's all very much right there.
0: Yeah. Uh, Some of the training content that I used to reach out and watch for Smoke and Flame was FX PhD. They had a lot yep. of great training titles um, for those packages. Yeah, I, I
1: did. I, I did some of those too.
0: <laughs> We're probably <laughs> in the same threads way back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My pro video pick this week is Key Cloner. So it lets you select keys in um, keyframes in After Effects for multiple different layers and copy them. There's a, quite a few different scripts out there for this. The thing I like about this one is the reverse. So you can copy and reverse them. So when you've got lots of things coming in, whether that's opacity or scale or position, you can reverse them really quickly. I've just Since I would like, have this in my dock now, I've found that I'm just using it all the time and it's speeding up things so much. It's these little things that can make a big impact because you're doing them 10, 20, 30 times a day. So yeah, that's my pick. Brian, who are you following online, mate?
1: Um, I'm probably following uh, a lot of editors that maybe uh, a lot of other editors who are listening to the show also follow. Um, I follow uh, Comeback Shane, Shane Ross, um, Chris Fenwick, who is a, a sort of a corporate uh, video produ- yep. editor uh, in San Francisco and does a lot of interesting work with multiple screen stuff and large screen stuff. Um, so, And I used to listen to his podcast as well, The uh, even the FX uh, G- FX. The grill. Final Cut uh, Pro, it's yeah. Final Cut Pro, yeah. Uh, even though, even though I was never a Final Cut Pro user, um, I was the same. I I like to listen to him. I like, yeah. I like hearing his stories, and and yeah. uh, I think we're about the same age, so that there's a little bit of uh, history that uh, we can both uh, relate to. I think in his uh, things you talk about um, Michael Comas. I, I follow him and his uh, his five things, his uh, five video podcast things that he's doing. Uh, Scott Simmons, um, edit blog, uh, who does uh, Pro Video Coalition, some blogs yeah. and some writing and, and stuff. So, I mean, those are probably the big names. Probably a lot of people, other people are following them. But uh, Twitter's, and, and mainly they're all on Twitter as well. Yeah. So Twitter's still a wonderful uh, connection point um, for, uh, I think, people in our industry.
0: Yeah. Chris Fenwick, Um, I really enjoyed following that show because... I wanted to keep up what was happening with Final Cut Pro X, especially in those mm-hmm. early days of the development. So you know, and he's really honest. He really was a he is a fanboy, but he's really honest about where they needed to improve and could yeah. really got a feel for the development and of it coming to maturity now as a product. Yeah. yeah, And Scott Simmons, he's he's been someone I've definitely followed for a long time as a tutor through FX PhD. He had some great courses on Premiere, but he's another person who is an advocate of knowing every editor and being versatile yep. to jump on any one box yeah so i'm following at the moment node fest slack group i went to node fest and it just blew my mind it was one of the the best uh, days i've ever had out of all the years you know 20 odd years of going to conferences and design camps and uh, semi-permanence and whatnot uh, node fest is just by and far the best thing i've ever ever done there's so many people that missed out this year. Don't miss out next year. Get in the Slack group. Start conversing. What a great trip from the States, Europe, wherever you are in the world to come and visit Australia, Melbourne, pop over to New Zealand too for a holiday and make it a world trip. It was exceptionally well presented with the presenters at such high caliber and I'll be diving into that in a bit more detail. But my pick for today is the Node Fair Slack group. Okay, Brian inspirational video do you have an inspirational video that you'd like to share
1: um i do uh it's actually one that i think inspired uh me the most to to take this leap into a different career path from and leaving broadcasting after you know 25 years uh at different stations um the video it's it's a little older so it's probably 2012 2013 maybe um it's called slow-mo The Man Who Skated Right Off the Grid is a Josh Eisenberg film, and it's a short film. Uh, I have no idea who Josh Eisenberg is or or what he does now, but it's a short film, uh, very documentary style, where he told the story of a doctor who – an older doctor who like roller skates now on – I don't know, out in California somewhere on a beach and, uh, just tells his story. And it's just beautifully shot. It tells, it, it's beautifully told. It, it's very touching. It, it was the type of stories I wanted to kind of do. And it inspired me to, to, you know, kind of dabble a little bit. I picked up a DSLR, picked up dgh 4 um, started shooting some stuff and, and kind of getting my, my bearings again in, in production since I'd been an editor for so long and sat behind a computer and in the dark for nine hours. Um, so it inspired me to kind of get up and, and, and create the whole thing again, become my own shooter, become my own director, become my own editor. And, 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 and if I had didn't have the shot, uh, I'd have only had myself to blame. So that film helped me, um, I think switch careers and, uh, and kind of get into the storytelling mode.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Great, great video to share. My inspirational video this week is Holden Seven from Buck, Sydney. I was really privileged to meet the team from Buck, um, at node and Gareth and Lucas were presenting and it was really inspirational. Um, just amazing, amazing team really down to earth, but producing the most exquisite work. So this particular, um, piece, um, yeah, what I really like about it is all the different styles that go into it and being quite eclectic in my own interests, it really resonated with me. And Like all things that come out of Buck, it was just top quality, world class. So check out that video and all the other things that we've been talking about today on the show notes. And with that, we'll have a link to Brian online. So Brian, where can listeners follow you and reach out to you online?
1: Uh, You can find me mainly on Twitter, I think, uh, or on Instagram at that point, uh, at BKM Editor. Um, and that's both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and then you can check out some of the work that I do at Emmy on the Emmy YouTube page, which is Emmy net one. Uh, and then I also have a personal YouTube page, which, um, does have a couple of little things. It's got some of my old smoke and broadcast demo reels on it, but it also has a, uh, a short documentary I did just before, um, switching careers once again, to get my bearings and, and kind of making sure that I could actually do this again, um, was a, a, uh, burlesque video uh, uh did a documentary on this troupe uh, locally that does uh, uh burlesque dancing and uh called the rocket doll review and uh they're kind of uh, an interesting group and uh, the video is very fun to do cool. uh and then i've got some old if you're still interested in smoke i've got some uh, smoke uh blogs um and tips and tricks on premiumbeat.com that are still there awesome awesome
0: you can find me on twitter at blair walker And Pro Video Podcast is on normal social social media, so search that out. I'd really ask you, while you're joining the Node Slack group, come and join the Pro Video Slack group. There's a lot of different conversations. I'm sharing a lot of content in there. Love to have you in there, because Slack's awesome. You can just jump between the different teams and the conversations and just participate when you can. So yeah, join that, and all those links and more will be on the show notes for this episode. Brian... Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an awesome time for me personally to have this time to chat with you, man.
1: all right, thank you uh, i hope uh, I hope the listeners you know kind of get I know you talk to a lot of great people and doing a lot of cool things and and I'm just honored to be you know kind of part of part of the group here on this podcast.
0: I think that what you're doing and building your own thing internally is just exceptional, and there's so many opportunities for people to do that. And it's. Um, I really hope that the listeners are inspired as I am with your career development and that you're building something and doing all these things that are really in- interesting and fun and the cool parts of the job. And you're you're doing that on your own. I think it's just so inspirational. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much. Okay, everyone, I hope you um, enjoyed this as much as I did in chatting with Brian, and I'd love for you to um, share this episode out on your social medias. It makes a huge difference to me, so please, please, please do that. Yeah, and have a great week, and I'll catch you next time. Okay, bye. Join the conversation on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at ProVideoPodcast. Please subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes.